You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is Chesney Hawks here. You are watching My Hammers 11 with the one and only Russ. Hi everybody, Russ and My Hammers 11. Hope you're all safe and well. Of course you are. We're in Europe. We're in the Europa, Europa League. Check that gif out. I'm going to be using that a little bit. Um, if you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing with the bell icon to be made of events. I'll be putting new content on. As always, I'd like to thank our lovely channel sponsors Untuck It. Check them out in the description below. We've got a, a great guest today, a journalist, broadcaster, podcaster. You can just see the sports social logo. He, should, he didn't frame it properly. He could have shown the sports show. Wrong way. Wrong way. There we go. <laughs> the sports social uh, where my hammers level will be appearing very very shortly as well as part of the part of the network of podcasters they have on there so i thought it'd be good to get jim on because he's a he's a hammer as well how are we doing jim yeah i'm all right uh, just watching that chesney hawks little bit at the beginning it reminded me it was a because I, I i kind of as well as doing the sports stuff i'm a radio presenter um have yeah. been for my entire career and i remember interviewing um chesney hawks going back to meet him in his little uh tour bus back in a gig he was doing in nottingham and i was supposed to be interviewing about a new song he had out or something and we spent the entire time talking about glenn roder who yeah. was the who was the then manager just brought, took me back to that moment he's a top boy isn't he? yeah he's he a top is. boy chess we've had him on he was i think was, i think chess was my 50th guest i think um and bless him because it would have been it was just in the middle of all the riots as well in la oh, and so that's, that's where he lives and so you know he's sort of in his house come studio come Stu, you know, he just like, had everything in the house. It was ridiculous, but yeah, uh, he's a lovely boy, Chess, and he did that. I wonder how many people have asked him to do that one and only thing for like a cameo or whatever. But uh, <laughs> he did it for free for my Amazon Eleven because he loves Russ so much. But yeah, um, how are we, Jim? How are we doing, buddy? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Like I say, after the drama of the final day of the season, feeling much better and surprisingly more positive than I felt in fifteen years about yeah. football. I think. It's so true, isn't it? I know exactly. It was. There's a real sense of um, of optimism around West yeah. Ham. What um, worries me is that, that that optimism is misplaced, and I think I think we yeah. all feel the same thing as Hammers fans. In, in in the whole, is we all fully respect and support the team and the management, 
but there's a disconnect between what's happening on the pitch and in the dugout and what happens at the higher level. I don't know how much yeah, you can sure. talk about this kind of stuff, Russ, with your yeah, <laughs> yeah. day job. But I mean, I think there's a... And although we feel ourselves in this huge opportunity on the cusp of the, Euro, the Europa League and this kind of opportunity to really kick on, yeah. there's no question of how much support and backing the manager and the team gets that enables us to do that. And we've seen in the past... Like, I don't know, the likes of Ipswich Town, for example, who had their yeah. brilliant season where they qualified for Europe and the stretch of doing a European competition and a Premier League campaign with a threadbare squad and not enough yeah. quality within there, yeah. that ultimately cost them relegation. And I don't think yeah. that's going to happen to West Ham next season. I don't think we're going to get relegated. But I think you look at it and go, well, if we're in the Europa League, I really want us to make a go of it. I don't want to go out to mm. Astrid or whoever it is that we yeah. end up playing in the in the early rounds. I want us to go and give it a good go and show that we do have the pedigree of a football club um, to go and challenge on these and on these different stages. So that's that's kind of tempering my optimism slightly, but still, it's, it's, really it's the West Ham that's in us, Jim. It's not. It's not. It's not your. You know, it's just, it's the one thing. You know, it's like oh great, yeah, we qualify for your. Oh, squad's so bad, we're going to be tough next season. I oh, just enjoy the moment. This is, I know exactly what you mean. Um, but I think also, I think you know, there just seem, does seem just a change in in atmosphere. I don't you know. Obviously, being work. I mean, this was my twentieth season technically working for them, and. I don't remember being as optimistic. It's really weird. And, and it might, you know, and particularly with everything, you know, and we, we spoke about before with, with things like obviously the Super League and stuff like that. Sometimes better the devil you know, better the devil you don't. That's, that's, that's always been my philosophy in life sometimes. And, and, you know, like, you know, everyone was praising, you know, the Liverpool owners when they took over and stuff like that. They try to, t- <laughs> they try to t- take down the Swanny. So, you know, I know what you mean. It does seem that there's, there's going to be money available, which I think is, I mean, everyone knows it's, we, we need to invest. And so, but then, you know, and I, I trust David Moyes with my purse. Do you know, it's like, he's, he's done well, all right with it. I live, I live up in Manchester um, and David Moyes has had a tough time up here in Manchester. Obviously, yeah. when he got the Manchester United job, he was criticised heavily, didn't sure. really deliver on the pitch, although I think he should have been given more time personally to actually prove himself because he's one of those managers that has to build an atmosphere and build like a mentality in a squad. It's not someone that comes in and does quick fixes. I don't think that's not, that's not how I judge him. And I remember Mm. him saying as Manchester United manager, and this, he got a lot of criticism for this at the time. He said he treated transfer budgets as if it was, as if it was his own money. And when you're at the likes of a Manchester United and you actually need to spend 75 million pound on a defender or 89 million pound on a midfielder that doesn't necessarily work but when you're a club like West Ham who have more modest modest transfer budgets available I think that's probably the right mentality you look for value and you only make that spending commitment when you know a player's right and we've seen it with Thomas Suchek we've seen it with Sufal he's invested really well in players that have been by Premier League standards on the lower end of the scale but have delivered perfectly because they fitted the mentality and they mm. fitted the style of play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly happy for him to go and continue spending in that way, bringing in the right players rather than bringing in Felipe Anderson. <laughs> well, I, mean, that's the, I mean, to be fair, that's the first thing Moyes came in, you know, full time, so to speak. The first thing he's, he's done is, is is let Felipe Anderson go and loan, who's, a, who's arguably our second most expensive player of all time, mm. and take a 50% hit on Haller. 
really and ironically we, we could have had a you know this the tail end of the season would have probably helped having Haller in but you know he didn't want his he wanted to bring his people in and so um you know we see that with the backroom staff as well as and you know he's got obviously he's got he's got Pierce in eventually he got Kevin in and he's got Alan and uh, and and Feeling and all the guys there and it's just yeah and I, I totally agree what you said at Man United it was almost like maybe a step too far it's a bit like when we had Pellegrini I think that was a step too far mm. although ironically we could well be in the same group as them, um, which would be quite fun. Real Betis and Marseille as well. We could get the snake back as well. So that'd be quite interesting because um, we'll definitely be playing against some of the big boys because we've got really, we haven't got a very good coefficient score. Mm. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've said about that. About, but, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, 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 in terms of David Moyes, I definitely think send, giving him, you know, a, a, a reasonable budget, you know, he's going to spend it. And, you know, if we're to be believed in January, he had the option to bring in a striker. There was, was money there, but he didn't want to spend it. Fair enough, you know, because it was the guy he wa- he wanted wasn't available. So yeah. that we'll see what happens. It's going to be crazy. I mean, you're going to be busy. Like we've already been, you know, 20, 30 people. We've already been sort of uh, targeted who we're going to get this seat this summer. So, yes, it's going to be very, very busy. Yeah, the round continues. I think there's going, to, there's going to be an element of volume that's required as well yeah. for these campaigns because we know what the Europa League campaign is like. It's Thursday night, it's Saturday, it's Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Saturday, mm. whatever it is like. It's relentless. And yeah. it's not just having that first 11 that's going to turn out for the Premier League each week. It's bringing in that second string as well. So how do you manage that? Do you bring in players that aren't that bothered about first-team football, that understand that they're part of the Europa squad and they're there to make up the numbers? Do you bring in young players who are hungry, who want to use the Europa to develop themselves? We've got some players in the academy. We know we've got some talent that hasn't really maybe been given the opportunity over the last six months that could potentially step up. That's a bit of a risk. Or do you bring in players that want to fight for their first-team places and likely are going to end up disgruntled and disappointed because they're not getting the mm. same opportunities. It's a really difficult situation to manage. Is, yeah. I, th- I think yeah. Moyes has probably got the cojones to do it properly. Yeah, it's the cojones, and I think just the, the team mentality about it. You know, I mean, we see that with someone like, I know it's sort of an exception to the rule, but Mark Noble, you know, he knows his role. He's very much a bit player now, yeah. um, and he fully accepts that, but he is still integral with the team. You know, he, he is still Mr. West Ham, and, you know, he's the middle of, all the banter that's going on and and i think it's it's getting those the right mentality guys coming in i think it's going to be a mix isn't it i think we're gonna it's going to be a we've got to get some bodies in there that's for sure i think with some people who think we were going to ship out i don't think we are going to ship out because mm. i don't see the point in in taking a you know a 20 million pound hit on anderson because we'll have to get a player back and it's like well you gotta spend some more money and it's like actually you've got a really good player i think actually europe europa football may may help a lot of these players lanzini mark noble and people like that and, and yarm lanka so it's gonna be interesting it's gonna be interesting and then we'll have hopefully have sixty thousand fans before the beginning at the beginning of the season which will be yeah. absolutely mental it'll be so some great european nights i mean i think the, the stadium is in a situation and you know the stadium better than anyone but it's um I think the improvements that have been made to it from from someone who's not been yeah. there for seasons now, but looking at it from the outside in, they've managed to make it as much of a football stadium as they can do. Yeah. And and I think under the those those European nights, those Thursday nights under the floodlights, I think it could feel a bit special and it could be yeah. an adventure and something brand new for the club so it's exciting times i totally agree i think you know it's horrible obviously what's happened in in the in the world but for west ham i think you know it's it's, it's given us you know the guys coming back you know obviously I, I was i've been there all season but the guys who turned up yesterday um you know they were 
you could see on Twitter, Facebook, lots of comments. Oh, I'm glad to be back. And da, 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 da. There was nothing about, you know, the views and stuff like that. And actually a lot of people were in the, the squared off ends and thought this is really good. This is a lot better now. So <laughs> look, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Oh, dear. People still moan about the price of the beer, though. Does, you know, there's, oh, something, there's some things just never go wrong. Never go wrong. It's two and eight or whatever for a pint, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> but I mean, if we was at the old gaff, we wouldn't be able to do any social distancing at all, no. uh, the old bowling. So, um, but yeah, beggars can't be choosers, but anyway. So, um, so how, how have you been in sort of like obviously this weird world because there'd be so much sport that you must have been literally watching football almost 24 7, it seems, yeah, and it does feel a lot like that. So, um, what we do at the sports social, we do various different things, as you alluded to before we have a sports social podcast network which is a way a place for sport podcast creators to kind of come together and basically publish their content and help to make make them a little bit of cash from that content yeah. and also help them grow their audiences that's part of what we do but we also do a lot of our own content as well so i do i'm part of a team that does a daily premier league show um which is the only daily premier league podcast that you can find anywhere and it has felt relentless at times mm. and previous seasons we've done this you'll get to a wednesday night when there's no european football and you'll be oh, what are we going to talk about on today's show yeah. we've got 45 minutes to fill we've got nothing to talk about um but that has certainly not been the case this season by any stretch of the imagination it's just felt non-stop and constant to the, to the extent i think i've kind of got used to it now yeah it's just felt relentless that you know there's always going to be a game and those weird days where there haven't been a game of premier league football particularly towards the end of the season have almost felt strange that there hasn't yes. been a game to talk about or a game to watch on yeah. telly so yeah my, my sky sports subscription has gone up my wife's yeah. slightly less impressed with the amount of football i'm watching and uh, and there's been a lot of football to talk about but i think what i've really enjoyed about this season and it's been a weird season it has been relentless but what yeah. i've enjoyed about it is the amount of stories that have come from it and the amount of big events and talking points mm. right the way across the league and i think it was quite unusual in that the relegated teams were all relegated pretty early this year yeah normally you'd have the the last two or three games there'd be one place to be decided but that mm. wasn't the case this year but there was loads of other things going on newcastle almost getting sucked into that relegation battle again was fascinating watching the scrap for the european places that we've been involved with has been fascinating leicester's capitulation at the end of the season that's seen them they look nailed on for a, a top Leicester. place and we've all enjoyed laughing at arsenal as well and the uh, the, the shitstorm that's been happening at, at yeah. north london it's it, there's been so much going on and, and i mean we even forget about how terrible manchester city were at the start of the season yeah. and how they were they basically had to rebuild the way they play as a team from the defence going forward. And they started off playing this really defensive football and then building on that. And they culminated in winning the league by 12 points. So there's been all these mini dramas going on right the way mm. through the league. It's been absolutely fascinating, but it has been relentless. Yeah. I think my, my, my biggest win is, is, is finding what I quite like to do is obviously when there was every game televised is, what channel are we on? So it's literally <laughs> it was like Sky Sports. No, okay, okay. BT Sport. No, <laughs> Amazon Prime. Not BBC. A bit like the curveball or BBC One. Just throwing a Premier League game, and I used to love that. But yeah, I mean, yesterday it was on Sky. We were on Sky One yesterday, no, just before it, the Simpsons. It took me ages to find it. I was lost. <laughs> I was rolling around trying to look for it. It's been impossible. Like Sky a game of 
<laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I, I do love it. I do love it. Let's say we, now we've got a break until the Euros, and then we start all over again with the yeah. Euros. So um, I think that's going to be weird as well. I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm looking forward to it. There's not many. We've got a few. Obviously, West Ham have a few players playing in the. Obviously, you know, the England squad's not been announced yet properly, but you know, assumption is Mr. Mr. Rice will be there. But um, there's not many West Ham players. Obviously, you've got the Czech boys. You've got um, Fabianski. You've got Rice and the rest. So it's not like we've got too much to worry about. So no, we can sort of enjoy football. Considering how congested this season has been, yeah. I think it's going to be really valuable for those players to have a little bit of a rest and have a bit of time off. And Definitely. I think the way Suchek and Sufal play, you, you do look at them and one and I mean they're never going to get injured because they'd lose a pair of them would have both legs cut off at the knee and they'd still yeah consider themselves fit to play so that's not going to be a concern but also the energy levels that they both put into games i think there is a slight danger of burnout there potentially going into a long season as well but i'm quite glad that we have not too many representatives going off to the euros this year yeah and also because we obviously we're in in europa league we go straight to the group stage you don't have to qualify or do any playoffs so you know, we don't. I think we start until September. I think you're at the, the proper okay. Europa League group stage. So again, unlike a Wolves who had to qualify and, did, 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 and played like 102 games, like ridiculous, you know, played yeah. a stupid amount of games last season. Um, season before last, season, you know, we don't have to have that sort of. At least we've got the guaranteed, you know, guaranteed 10, 12 games or whatever it is, and then then we'll see. So, <laughs> then we'll yeah. see what happens. Uh, hey, what will be will be Salavi, Salavi. So Jim, you, know, you mentioned you saw you living in Manchester now, but you know, but we spoke about obviously being a West Ham fan. So you know, the first question I always ask, and sixteen minutes in, that's a bit of a record for me today, <laughs> is um, is why West Ham? Why is it your club, Jim? Um, do you know what? It's it's kind of it's partly. I mean, I grew up down south, um, yeah. so uh, weirdly, the school I went at, most of my friends down south were Manchester United fans. So I should have. Su- ended up a United fan really as my mates were supporting Manchester United and that would have been a much easier life up here for me supporting a team with a relative success Um, but the reason I ended up supporting West Ham was actually from something that turned out to be completely untrue so I was told that my granddad um, played for West Ham before the war and it like pre-World War One I think it was he was like in the reserve teams or something like that and this is a story that was passed down and it turns out he never played for West Ham he played for both Wanderers (laughs) So I should be a Bolton Wanderers fan because that's the basis I made my choice. Um, but I kind of started following them. My family weren't particularly into football, uh, hence from getting the story wrong, I guess. Um, exactly. so I, I started following them that age and I ended up um, sitting next to a fellow at my school. Um, I kind of had a passing interest in West Ham and I sat next to this guy called John Petty and he was a massive West Ham fan. Um, and I sat next to him in history, our history lessons. And he gave me uh, some West Ham Panini stickers. Um, he gave me Tony Cotty, Ian Bishop and Tim Breaker, I think it was, uh, three stickers. And they were they, they kind of sat on my history book. And that, that, that was the beginning of it. And then it's one of those journeys, isn't it? Once you start following down the route, you can't turn back and you get to a certain point in your life. Like when I found out that my granddad never played for West Ham and, and he, he did play for Bolton. And it's like, it's a bit late now. I've already gone yeah. through the pain and suffering for however many years. I, I've got to continue. So, yeah, that, that's why I'm a West Ham fan. And, and well, I'm proud to say that my, my son, who's um, eight years old, who could easily be supporting Manchester City, where yeah, all his yeah. friends go and seeing their success, he's he's decided he's he's a West Ham fan. So It's, something very, it's something very cathartic. It's very, very proud of that, isn't it? When, like, you know, he's decided to 
to pick the club you know, yeah necessarily no it's good man and you but i mean you know to be honest in that sort of um the 2000s sort of the mid 2000s 2010s obviously the 2012s when we got promoted it was a bit like bolton because we had big sam we had kevin nolan <laughs> we had we had like Abdullah Faye, we had Matty Matty Taylor, we had Yushi Askalina, yeah, we had, we had these players True. throughout our time at West Ham. So, you know, it's not too bad with Bolton. True. I suppose. I'm quite relieved I'm not a Bolton fan nowadays. Although they've been they got promoted the other day, didn't they? So Yeah, but they've had to get know, down in the first place, haven't they? <laughs> they <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. It's like my friend is a Sunderland fan. I feel very sad my friend is a Sunderland fan at the moment. Um but that's the thing. I mean, you know, I do you know what my 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 journey to West Ham is, is is very similar, but I don't know if it's true or false. So my on one side of my family, both sides of my family supported West Ham. There, I had no chance, no chance at all. Um, but my mum's side, there was a the story was that my great 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 grandfather was a coach for the Thames Iron Works. Okay. Now, obviously, uh, that was eighteen ninety-five. You know, obviously, you know, you know. So, Christ knows if it's true or not. But that's that's the family story. So, uh, very similar to yours. But you could probably you have historians to go back. I don't know if apparently they sacked him when they turned professional. So, that does sound a lot like my you know my my family to be honest. So it could be well well yeah. be true. But uh, in, in, a, in a way, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's like, no. it's become folklore. It doesn't really matter whether it's true. And it's kind of it's more about the impact that that story has than whether that story's true or not at the yeah. start. Exactly. And I love the fact it's a, it's a great story. The fact is, you know, your Eastbourne West Ham was based on a lie. But yeah. that's, not, <laughs> that's what I love. That's what I love. That's brilliant, man. And obviously the fact that you said the son, your son and stuff, and obviously eventually, you know, when you can get back to London Stadium and he'll come along and they'll be out in the shirt and singing and it'll be a lovely day. Be a lovely yeah, day. I will miss that walk down, um, the walk down from Upton Park station or from not from yeah from park station to the ground and the the kind of uh, that was one of the things that i used to absolutely love about coming to see yeah. game and it, not even so much the ground uh, and, and it was a great ground to watch football in but that little walk and the sights and sounds and smells i think it's the kind of thing that as a young person kind of yeah. going to a football game for the, for the first time it's such a unique experience that you don't get anywhere else and you don't get it nowadays yeah. going to these big stadiums whether it's whether it's west ham or wembley or whether it's the etihad yeah. Yeah. whatever it is the experience is totally different it's much more sanitized in many ways you don't get the same variety of people you don't get the same variety of cultures um so i, I will miss that aspect of it and that kind of yeah. excitement and even like the queuing up for two hours at the station afterwards <laughs> when you I mean, you kind of end up missing that it's all part of the experience so we, we will never experience yeah. that but there's a there's good times ahead anyway i know exactly what you mean i yeah it's just the way the foot it's football in general isn't it the way football has become more um not sad, yeah, sanitized, but sort of, I don't know sterilized is that the right word but yeah it's like you know it's like i, I mean i never I'm never I have I've never been a fan of Wembley sort of getting there, you know, sort of that Wembley way, you know, just there's just nothing until you get into Wembley. Whereas obviously we had three years where we were at Cardiff, the Millennium Stadium for like the FA Cup final, two playoff finals, and that was incredible. Because it was bang in the middle of Cardiff. There was pubs all over the place. They split the city in two and it was just so much fun. Um as you said, because footballers football stadiums are moving to bigger places, there's need more space, there's more expansive, you don't get the Bramall Lanes and and mm. um, and Burnleys and and places like that, West Broms, or cause most of them are relegated now, unfortunately. Um, but Bournemouths and those sort of great days out, you know. And I think that's why people look forward to those away days in those smaller grounds because it's almost like a reminiscent. You know, you can go to the Etihad or you can go to the Emirates, but they're just 
you know, if you took off all the chandlery, they're pretty much similar. Yeah. All the, you know, so it, whereas, you know, yeah, Brent, is it Brentford's old ground? You had a pub on every corner, didn't you? Or something like yeah. that. And yeah. So it's, it, I know what you mean. And but I, I think that's football in general, not just the stadiums. I find the life you know, in general. It's, it um, is, yes, life. It's, yeah, it is. The shopping centres versus the high street or music yeah. venues kind of sanitised a little bit. So it is part of it. I think, I think the missing piece of the puzzle in this country um, that they get right in the likes of Germany. And I think, I think there's a lot of stuff said about German football that isn't necessarily mm. as brilliant as everyone says, like the 50 plus one rule. I think everyone goes, oh, this is the model for ownership when no one really understands it. So put that to the side. I think the fan experience within Germany, they work so hard on that. And that kind of makes up for the fact that you are going into these like sanitized stadiums, like the Dortmund stadium is a relatively modern stadium. It's not, in the round that it's it's not massively new but it's kind of in the middle of an industrial park there's not pubs and on the corner and all that kind of thing so it's got a similar setup to a lot of the stadiums now mm. and there seems to have been a lot of effort and work put into the fan experience which is yes. like a horrible corporate thing to say in the first place doesn't it fan experience that maybe that needs to be the focus of where we're going in the, in this country and i think we'll learn from that because it's a relatively new part of what we're doing i guess yeah, no, exactly. I, I think you're right. I think there's, I think it's, it's, it's just societal in general. And I think, but I think, you know, you see, you know, you see Dortmund, you see just, just the experience. I mean, that's why everyone wants to play Dortmund in, in the European Cups competitions because they want to see, feel that experience. Um, but the same as like Barcelona. I mean, I've, I've, I've been to Barcelona and I've sat at the top and, I could have been anywhere. I'll be honest. I could have been anywhere, you know, because it was, you know, I literally have been, because it's like, you know, about a mile up at the top, but um, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's horses for courses, isn't it? I think, I think it's the fans make it as well. So like yesterday's game, you know, there's only 10,000 of them, but Christ, they make a sound, but they're yeah. all season ticket holders as well. Do you know what I mean? They're all, they're not, you know, football tourists or anything. That is respectful to tourists, but they're not football tourists. You know, they, they literally have put, and they pay their season ticket up front. And, you know, so they are proper, proper fans. You know what I mean? So it was, um, it was, it was, it was a special day, a very, very special day. But, uh, but I think, as I said, I've interviewed, we've had probably almost four, about four, 350 interviews we've done. We've interviewed about 70 ish ex players. And it's not just the, the, you know, and you, they talk about the stories of, of their times and football just seemed to be more fun. Yeah. It just seemed to be, it was personality. We've had, you had, like, we've had the Razor Ruddocks and John Monkers and, and Trevor Sinclair's and Artsons and we've had the Tony Cotties and, and they just seemed to be like football was fun because it maybe social media took over and, you know, you couldn't go to a Christmas do. I mean, no one, no one has Christmas do's anymore. It seems they're Christmas parties. Think uh, there's different elements to play into that. And I think part of it is the social media, yeah presence and the fact that people can get caught out much easier i think part of it is that the level of professionalism required now is far higher than it has ever been before in terms of and i think you can you can compare generational talents and go well this person like a george best would have been able to cut it in the modern day game or whatever and that is the case and you do have these real outstanding talents but in terms of a level of how fit a player is it's so much higher now than it ever has ever been before because sports science has developed in such a way. But yes. also the other part of it is now there's so much pressure on players as individuals that they know if they say the wrong thing, if they tweet the wrong thing, if they're photographed in the wrong place, it can cost them 2 million quid in sponsorship. Good point, so why, yeah. why would you take that risk of yeah. 
having a personality why not just play your career play your football when you get to the age of 30 retire become a pundit then you can say what you want don't bother doing yeah. it now and risk a couple of million <laughs> quid makes no sense it's true makes perfect sense and also just the the fact is that the, the money in the game is you know i, I used to live in Loughton in essex where basically you like all the Tottenham players and west ham players lived because it was equidistant from both and you would, and I always, I always talk about this because I, you know, on a, I used to work at Safeways. God, I remember Safeways. And um, Shaka Hislop would always come in and do his Friday Big Shop, you know, and Samasia Boo. And I would literally make sure I'm working at about five o'clock on a Friday after school because they'd come in. Now, we'll see the money in the game now, you know, you don't get people living necessarily in residential areas. They live in Canary Wharf and apartments. Fair play to them. You know, I would be if I had the money. So, again, that precipitates. You know, you don't see them. The most exciting thing in the world was walking down the road and seeing a football player walking out of the shop. Oh my God, no, it doesn't happen now because you can't tell because they got the face masks on. But mm-hmm. you know, it was it was it was just so exciting, and that's something I think you know that that your your son, and my daughter's eight as well. So you know that they'll miss out on that because they won't. Cause it's just the way. But again, it's just the way people live in general. So interestingly, I, I chatted to Pat Nevin recently. Yep. The, I did an interview with him, um, former Scotland Chelsea player. And he was saying that when he was a player at Chelsea, he was regarded as strange by his teammates because he would get the tube home from training and he'd talk to people and he'd interact with people. And that was just at a stage where there was that that slight removal. Nothing nothing compared to the scale now. But he his theory is that actually it's not a, it's not a necessity for players to have this removal from life. They don't have to go and live in their gated mansions and never see yeah. the light of day. It's very much a choice. But it's yeah. it's kind of a choice that's maybe driven by other people sometimes. Maybe it's driven by agents and advisors. But actually, it would probably help football and help individuals if they did have contact with the everyday man, the yeah. person that's paying 60 quid of their hard-earned money every week to go and watch them in a football True. stadium. Having that kind of interaction would probably be an advantage to the game. And I kind of agree. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and that's why, you know, when we have, when like, you know, they have the... Hammers Heroes or Evenings with Frank McAvenny and Tony Cotty, they set out because it's the same stories. The stories haven't changed from the boys of 86, but people go because they relate to them and it's like, you know, they're like a normal bloke. So he's all lark. It's the same stories, how they tell them and, you know, the chances are you're going to meet them, sign them, recognize them from the last event and things like that. And it's, um, I mean, I, I, I don't envisage in. 30 years time we have a, a boys of 21 reunion <laughs> at the queens in Hornchurch with um felipe anderson sebastian haller and manuel lanzini <laughs> taking questions from mark noble it won't happen but I it's could see that like, I could see antonio doing it though i could think he i, I could, could see yeah, him doing it. <laughs> yeah yeah i could see him i could see deck you could see, you could see the czech boys would turn up and that's the thing i think you know in in that respect i think we actually have a quite an old school mentality around our squad mm. um even with jesse and declan obviously but rather than the you know, the bantering is, is on social media, so we can all see it rather than being told about it 20 years later. So we know about it straight away. And I think compared to other clubs, maybe we're a bit sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe we're not necessarily, you know, <laughs> of course, we're going to say West Ham because we're West Ham fans. But I think we have quite a quite a group of person. That's why I was gutted when we lost um, Robert Snodgrass, because he was a real character of the team. So um, but bringing in Jesse was a bit of a masterstroke. Anyway. We're talking about you, anyway. <laughs> we put the world to right. That's great, as we always do. We don't tend to stick to a format. Anyway, let's talk about your Hammers 11, Jim. So okay. everyone we get on the channel, bar, um, bar three people, actually, by Harry Redknapp, uh, Ian Bishop, and Nigel Coker. everyone else has given an 11. 
So the idea is you pick um, based on whatever criteria. There's nothing the best can be the worst. It's up to you. Whatever the cult favourites, your you know head over heart, whatever doesn't matter. The only rule is you have to be alive to have seen them play. Um, the only reason we put that in is otherwise we'd have all put Bobby Moore, Billy Bonds, Trevor Brook in. I never saw any of them play. Saw two of them manage, but none of them play. So that's what we try and do. So, uh, and it's just a bit of a giggle, a bit of a laugh. And I said, we've had over 350 people. So, you know, we collate them. Eventually, we'll do a, when we hit 500, we'll do another update video for everyone anyway, so they can see who's the top and whatnot. So, who is in goal for the Jimmy 11? Right. I've, I've, I've tried to, I, I'm terrible at doing these lists because I'm <laughs> stupidly indecisive and try and I change my mind all the time about various things. So, I've, I've done it quite quickly. I'll probably change my mind as we go through. So, in goal, Shaka Hislop. Oh, nice. Um, which, the obvious choice for me would have been Ludo McCloskey because of yeah. his involvement in the club and how great he was as a goalkeeper, but then how much of an icon he became in his coaching career and kind of his career after West Ham. Uh, but for me, there's something I always enjoyed about watching Shaka Hislop play. And I think it was, he was one of those characters that just seemed to love playing the game. And I've always admired that about any footballer. It looks like they're enjoying themselves because I think mm. footballers, again, it comes back maybe with having that relationship with fans, are doing the one thing that many, many fans want to do and dream of doing. And the fact they are given that privilege, there's nothing worse than seeing someone being dead grumpy on the pitch and not yeah. enjoying it. So Shaka Hislop was that for me. I just enjoyed watching him play because he seemed to enjoy watching playing. And also I remember him, wasn't the greatest goalkeeper. I remember him making some right, clangers in his time yeah. at West Ham um, but I also remember going to see him play at Reading I think before when I was just getting into football I went with a couple of mates to go and see uh, see Reading play in their old ground and that was I think that it was a European game I seem to remember it was like a pre-season European game or something like that and he played in that and I seem to remember he let in a back pass under his foot uh, so which kind of like summed him up a little bit so yes Chaka yeah. Hissop my goalkeeper yeah, and and do you know, and it's, it's I didn't even know Shaka because we had the story. I could have waited on the Shaka story and done it, and it actually made sense. <laughs> um, but I know what you mean. He's he's uh he's so cool, so cool. Even even though when we interviewed him, he was he's, he's obviously does stuff for ESPN, and he lives in it is on the east coast of the states. And it was in June or July last year, and so it must have been absolutely baking. His AC had broken, and he was sweating buckets, but he was still so cool. He was still so cool. I love it because he had his West Ham T-shirt on, being a massive Newcastle um, crest right behind him. And I imagine he probably had a Reading one as well. He's got sort of split loyalties, but yeah, top boy. And a boomerang player. I, like I love players like who go away and come back. Yeah, and I like um, I like it when players maintain relationships with their football yes. clubs as well and seem to genuinely have a bond with the fans and the players i think i think shack has had that ever even at portsmouth i think he had that yeah it's kind of he became a bit of a cult hero whenever we went yeah no he is and you, you see that on social media and you know we'll probably talk about some other players as well who again still have a good relationship with the club but not just west ham multiple clubs you know when one club it's you know okay you might say but if it's across several clubs there's something special about that player yeah. um right we'll put Shaq in right let's go defenders who's your first defender then um so i'll start left back so i think there's only one left back you can pick from the last 30 years of west ham and it's julian dix right so julian dix <laughs> oh yeah of course yeah i you mean forgot. <laughs> again again it comes down a lot to mentality i think for me 
from players maybe maybe more so than skill they're the kind of players I've, yeah. maybe it's because i've always been as a footballer myself i've always been low on skill but high on effort so um yeah, yeah julian <laughs> dix just one of those players who gave everything everything when he was playing he left everything on the pitch and left most of his studs in someone's leg 50 yeah. of the time as well um and just watch watching some of the go and watch some of the challenges he put in oh on youtube that weren't even carded at the time i mean there'd be 10 game bans now it was just a completely yeah. different world um crazy. but I, I never considered him a dirty player particularly i considered him an aggressive player but i think mm. that was very different to being a dirty player like a roy Keane who went out to hurt people i don't think he ever had that in him and when you hear him speaking he doesn't seem like that kind of character yeah. either he doesn't seem like he's a a nasty human being and so yeah I remember him being top goal scorer as well for us. I forget which yeah. season it was, maybe 92, something like that, um, from all the penalties he scored. So, yeah, he had to be my left back. Yeah. And, and what I love about Julian is, you're right, and cause I, when I interviewed him, I was so nervous because it was Julian Dix. And, and actually, he came across, he was so sweet and such a nice bloke. And maybe my, I thought, you know, the hard man rather than, you know, just him as a family man. Obviously, he had a kid last season, you know, another kid last season, and just before the close season. And um, but I know what you mean. He was. I, I never considered a hard, a hard man rather than a dirty man. That's yeah. the way I always considered him. But you know, obviously, outside of inside of West Ham, not only that, but he had this this wand of a left foot as well. And you know, whereas outside, everyone thought he was a bit of a thug. And um, I loved that about about him. I just loved it. And I loved the way from you know a really unglamorous position like left back. You could get he could galvanize a game and a crowd and a team from you know not from central midfield but from left back you know it's not the most <laughs> it's not the most no. sort of pivotal role but he could do it and um yeah top man top top man scored my first ever goal i saw at west ham that's why I, and i said to him i said you, you scored my first it was against oxford united he went i scored two that day russ I went yeah i know you scored two but <laughs> you, scored the first, you scored the first one that's the one bothered about julian um mm. right we'll put dixie in who is next in jim um, so let's go right back. Um, I was I was torn between two here, uh, and I was thinking about S Steve Potts, but then mm. I went for Tim Breaker in the end, purely for the what I mentioned earlier about him being. I don't remember him much as a player, if I'm totally no, honest. Yeah, but I but because I had his sticker on my history book, he kind of had this <laughs> this memory this this um, in, impression on me forever. And in those early days of getting into football, when you're more interested in the football paraphernalia than you are yes. playing football, so you're more interested in the shirt and how a player looks. Yeah. And, and in my case, playing Sensible World of Soccer, um, which is a game I played on my Atari five, uh, Amiga 500, <laughs> I always made sure I had Tim Breaker in my team. So I, I don't remember him a great deal as a, as a player, but in terms of someone who got me into football, I thought I'd have him as my right back. Yeah, and he's he's someone I think he I've, I'm exact, exactly the same uh, with Tim Breaker in that I I didn't appreciate it, but you know very I see it very similar to how we now appreciate Mr. Soufal in that he plays a seven out of ten every game, um, reliable, dependable, but you know you wouldn't necessarily say oh he did that one thing today he's yeah. he, he he just he was just consistent and, and Tim was just consistent and particularly that's all mid early nineties I mean we haven't had arguably we haven't had a, a consistent right back since him until Soufal's come along. So that's why there's been comparisons. Obviously we had, we had Schemmel for two years, bless him, you know, how many year first year, then shit second year. Um, but uh, Tim, yeah, top, top man, lovely guy as well. Right. Okay. We'll put Tim in. Who's next? Rio Ferdinand. At nice. Centre back. 
who's a player that I think gets a lot of stick from some West Ham fans. And I don't really understand why, because I know he left the club, but at the same time, mm. he built us a football stand. So, so it's like, <laughs> give him a break. Um, yeah. I think I, I think to this day, he's probably one of the most cultured players I've seen play for West Ham. And I was convinced when he made the breakthrough, he was going to end up as a midfielder. I thought he had all yeah. the attributes to kind of play in that, almost the role that Declan Rice plays at the moment, that simple, keep the ball moving, keep yeah. the midfield ticking along, move the ball into the next phase of play. Um, I actually think he was a brilliant, silky footballer to watch. So, yeah, I absolutely loved Rio Ferdinand watching him play yeah. for West Ham. And unsurprisingly, he went on to bigger and better things but it would have worked what, what how good would it have been to see him play as a in West Ham throughout his career it would have been it would have changed our fortunes as a football club it's so true and I, again yeah it was sad to him to leave but end of the day you know him leaving in a weird way got me my job at West Ham so there we go because obviously he left then they got a new stand and then I started working when they had the new stand in so there we go so vis-a-vis -vis, everyone's all slagging him off you know <laughs> we're in the big seat playing the pressing the bubbles button right okay um no your top boy rio is absolutely top boy and i think because rio and anton because there's two of them i think that's part of the reason you know they still there's there's still that west hamness about them because mm -hmm. that family connection and stuff like that and i think Anton's anton still... had a rough ride as well because i think yeah, I did. he's yeah. going to be compared to his brother um, yeah and just because you're from the same family doesn't necessarily mean you're going to live up to the same quality and, and anton mm -hmm. Ferdinand still did a brilliant job at west ham i think he was he 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 was he was the he was a, the right player at the at the right time for us. Yeah. Um, but maybe didn't reach those levels that Rio Ferdinand had that everyone expected him to reach. So maybe got no. a bit of a ride. Yeah, he did. He was it was his brother. He was in the same position. You know, we, when we had Anton on, I asked he, he asked that he answered that question. I didn't, you know, I didn't sort of probe it. He, he came. He said, "Yeah, it was tough because uh, you know because when Rio was at, was under I don't know when he joined us, you know." very very young but anton was three years younger literally with him all the time so rio he saw rio's rise and he was you know literally doing the same thing but like a few years behind him so literally he was in everyone's mind of yeah because they, they looked bloody similar as well and stuff like that but uh still he was only the one as he did say something it was a stat about him and rio were the only brothers or only brothers to have won premier league um player of the month or something like that there's there's a there's a there's a weird thing there that's like a so, tenuous stat that <laughs> that's like that's like where's those straws let me clutch at them where are they um but yeah no bless him i love i love Anthony. he's a top boy right okay so who's he gonna partner then that center back that rio is uh slavin billich is nice i'm putting him with i think again it kind of falls into that um stuart pierce category a little bit that he was incredibly no nonsense on the pitch yeah. he knew how to let a attacker know he was there but at the same time, off the pitch, just seems like an absolutely <laughs> lovely man. Yes. Um, and I think that continued into his second spell at the club. And I think uh, I think Slaven Bilic was probably let down a little bit during his time as a manager at West Ham for me. So yeah. it, it didn't do anything to damage his credentials. No. But, uh, but I, forever, forever. And again, he was he's another player who came back for two spells, isn't he? So. Yeah. So he's a yeah. I've I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Slaven Bilic. Yeah, me too. Me too. I know exactly what you mean. I, you know, I, I it, it, for for me, Slav was like such a such a nice bloke. And I think sometimes, you know, when the when the when the chips are not the chips are down. Where's the opposite of chips? And when the chips are good, then then it's great. But when they're down, you know, you've got to be 
you know, and he was, it was almost, I think Slab was almost everyone's mate. He wants to be everyone's friend. And he was such a nice bloke that I don't think, you know, there was that sort of head teacher about him to, you know, and, and so, you know, the, the way he sort of worked with the players, whereas someone like, someone like Moisey comes in, he's, you're not going to, you're not going to mess with him. Do you know what I mean? He's a scary, scary individual. And they all are, Christ, you know, I wouldn't want to be performing at half time and you go in and, you know, you've got him, Kevin Nolan, Alan Irvine, Stuart mm. Pierce. It's like, Jesus, there's a wall of like real hard men there. But uh, yeah, no, I love Slav. He was a top, top love. He was a top guy. Really, really I sweet. That, I, I think that was part of his issue as West Ham as a manager. And I think we saw a yeah. similar pattern at West Brom when he went there in mm. that he came in, he was people's mates, he gave them confidence, he made them play with confidence. But actually, you have an instant impact then. You have a kind of 12 month honeymoon period where people want to play for you but as that ebbs away as that becomes a normal what then motivates those individuals further and if you haven't got that that strict discipline that training regime that hairdryer treatment occasionally then that's when the performances start to slip which is potentially why he did so well in international management because that's exactly what i think yeah yeah because you said, you know, for for internationals, you in essence picking the best players for your country, and all you have to do is not all we have to do, but you know, it's all about team spirit and, and organization yeah. and stuff like that. And you know, you see them, so they're all going to be excited and happy. So it's a not an easy job, but not easy job at all. But compared to a Premier League manager or a league manager, it's every day and the results are like this every game. You know, it's um, that's probably why he was so he was so good as Croatian team manager. That's definitely. Very um, right, okay, midfield. Uh, who's your first midfielder then, Jim? Uh, Joe Cole, who oh, I'm playing. Christ. I'm playing left midfield, which he would have hated, but um, he would have hated. <laughs> I've got to play him in left midfield. First player I absolutely fell in love with at West Ham, yeah. and I think as a club, we've always loved players that come through the academy, haven't we? Yeah. And he, for me, just kind of summarised all of that. This young, pretentious talent, one of the best footballers of his generation, and it, it saddens me that he never really quite fulfilled that potential, which I think says more about how much potential he had rather than the level he reached. Because undoubtedly, I mean, he played for England, he played for Chelsea, he played for West Ham yeah. and did uh, extreme levels and did incredible things on the pitch. But it always felt like he had that other level above him yeah. that he, he never quite reached. But no. it was just it was one of those players that it every time he got the ball you kind of expected him to do something spectacular and 50 percent of the time he did do something spectacular so a, a joy to watch yeah and also i mean the, the fact is he's, he's such a good analyst on bt sport as well he's he's you know he's really good really, really good yeah but yeah um no I, I love him i mean to be honest a lot of this is very similar to my team i'll be honest jim but it, <laughs> yeah but i think you know but you know joe cole top man i think i just put him on the left as well to fit him in um but yeah so we love to, we love not only academy players but if you're academy players we have a bit about you in terms of skill you know and that's a double whammy double hit right we'll put joe cole in who is next then jim okay i'm gonna go to the other wing and i'm playing another player slightly out of position here because i'm putting isle berkovich on the right side of midfield nice. who is a player that doesn't often get no credit no. i don't think isle berkovich but i think he was not only one of the best midfielders ever to play for West Ham. I think he's one of the best midfielders ever to play in the Premier League. Yeah. He was such a talented player and he had ability with both feet, but he also had a dribbling ability that meant he could take players on. And 
I think it was a slightly sad the way his time at West Ham finished, yeah. but at the same time, that photograph of Hartson booting him in the head is 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 iconic. <laughs> so yeah. it kind of summed West Ham up <laughs> to a certain extent. So yeah, he he's part of being in my midfield as well. Yeah, no, you're right. That sort of that, that it was that was in that was not I won't say pandemic. It's a wrong expression to use now, but that was that was that was that era. That era was a crazy era at West Ham and, yeah. and stuff like that. Although it happened, it was typical. The Sky cameras were there and and stuff like that. It was um, it you know you can imagine a lot of that stuff happened quite a lot at West Ham. It was there was lots of big characters yeah. there. And um, I think it looked worse than it did because like I remember yes. the, the the shot because 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 uh, Berkovic had that hair, didn't he? Yeah, so, uh, as his head recoiled, it kind of like <laughs> like a Timothy yeah. actor went all over the place. So it looked like it looked much more dramatic than it was, but it was still. I mean, it, it just kind of summarised the circus that often yes. the club around. It was because he's worth it. I mean, yeah. really crap, L'Oreal advert. I'll be honest, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Johnny, I think his John's got there as well. But yeah, and you're right with Berkovic. I think you know he could. You see how David Silva played for Man City at the highest level for many years. He was, you know, I think he was a Berkovic, very similar. You know, very silky player. Would Hart? I mean, that's a year when Hartson scored 24, 26 goals, something like that season. You know, we've had Johnny on, and he said most of those times were were basically Al putting it through to me. Yeah. You know, the amount of assists he got that season was crazy. And um, yeah, great playing. You're right. Doesn't get he's never put in that sort of bracket, but he should be. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, right, who's next? Uh, Michael Carrick. Um, nice. I'm a build who I think is. I had a, I had a, I had a semi argument, semi discussion with someone on Twitter recently <laughs> about the role Declan Rice plays at yeah. West Ham, and they were arguing that he never does anything. And I think Carrick often had the the same well, has the same on the tributes that yeah. Deck has um, in that the reason it looks like he doesn't do very much is because he does it so well. Um, yeah. And I think players that play in that position, that kind of holding midfielder, as I said, the, the players that kind of keep the game ticking, keep the ball moving, keep play moving, because if their positioning is good, then it often looks like they're doing nothing because they're yeah. just intercepting yep. passes. They're putting pressure on at the right times and then they're playing those simple balls. Occasionally there might be a cross field raking pass and Michael Carrick had an incredible range of passing on yeah. it. Um, but in general, it's kind of quite a quiet role, hugely underrated. Mm. I think Michael Carrick was a superb for West Ham and part yeah. of that same generation as, as Joe Cole and, uh, and Rio Ferdinand as well, who all came yeah. through at a similar time. We had that brilliant core of the team in there. Oh, we did. We did. We had Tony Carr on. Tony Carr doing his, uh, he did an academy 11, which turned out to be um, pretty much half of the England uh, World Cup squad of 2010. It's incredible, isn't he it? Put John, he put John Terry in, which I allowed him to put in because he's, he's Tony Carr. Um, who, have, but, I mean, have, who, is it, who are the strikers for that? Because that's where I struggle with our academy. It's like, who have we developed as a striker? He I had think, well. So he, it, was, it was. I think he put TC and Jermaine okay. in there. So t- t- technically, Jermaine came sixteen. I didn't mention that. So it's Tony Carr. So he can do what he wants. But obviously, Tony yeah, TC came through. And yeah, I think you had to put Stephen Bywater in. Not have to put Stephen Bywater, but Stephen was in goal because goalkeepers appear. We don't tend to. But not many clubs do, apart from seems Man United seem to sort of have goalkeepers who, who go away and come back and they keep, you know, so it is Henderson. And, and... I've got high hopes for, um, for Nathan Trop. I think he's yeah. a, real, a real prospect. If he can bulk up a little bit, I can see him being a, a very good talent. 
Yeah, definitely. definitely. I think Carrick is one of those players who I call him the missing piece of the puzzle. Until you put the whole puzzle together, you don't realise you need that one piece. Yeah. And and every time he's gone, so he's obviously left West Ham, left Spurs, left Man United, no, no one ever replaced him. And I don't think anyone knew what was missing, and it was him. Um, you know, not not to some lesser extent, someone like Hayden Mullins, for example. The same thing. You know, he was like in that 2006 period, um, you know, there's certain players who always appear in the players when they're doing their 11s compared to the fans. And it's, as you said, it's not seen to do nothing, but, you know, those integral players, water carriers, those yeah. you know, Jeff Pikes in the early, or Peter Butler in the, in the early 90s and people like that. And and uh, and Carrick was sort of one of those, you know, when he, when he wasn't in there. It's a bit like Declan Rice now. When he was out, our season dipped tremendously. Yeah, um, and not just him, but Suchek as well. Suchek was half the play when Declan Rice was, wasn't yeah. there. Um, it's, it just shows you, know, you don't know what you've got to. It's gone type thing. But, okay, we'll put Mickey Carrick in. And who's the last player in that midfield then? I think it's obvious, isn't it? It's Mark Noble. It's got to be Mark Noble. I think yeah. um, I, I think just as a, as, a, as a player, as a servant, as a captain, as a leader, he's just offered West Ham so much through the years. It saddens me the abuse he gets from some portions of our fan base and I think it's mostly football Twitter that gives him abuse about his lack of quality or his legs have gone or he shouldn't be in that midfield but I think this season he's proved more than any other how important he is as a character Mm. to have in that changing room and as the respect he gets off Declan Rice for example every time he replaces he comes onto the pitch no matter what stage of the game Declan Rice hands over that captain's yeah. arm bad and goes you're the captain this is your team and I think that's hugely important but I think also he has got more to offer as a player and he might not be able to do it three times a week uh, and play 90 minutes three times a week but he's not far off um, no. and when he's when he's been able to play in his natural position I think that's when he's really really done well this season when he's been crowbarred into maybe not playing his exact game that's potentially where he struggled. But when he's been allowed to play his game, I think that's where he's played really well. And I'm, I'm delighted he's staying around for another season because I think he deserves yeah, totally. it. And I think... I- and you're totally right. I mean, we've, uh, you know, obviously when Declan was, was out, he was playing that sort of CDM position and that's his position. You know, he's not a number 10. Uh, he's never been a number 10. Um, and so, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, yesterday we gave him the mic at the end to do a little interview and, um, oh, he's just... Mr. West Ham, do you know what I mean? He was sitting, he's just standing there talking, and every, everyone would literally hang on every word the man said. Um, and yeah, we asked him the question, you know, are you going to be lifting the tro- the Europa League Cup for your, your last season? He's like, who's <laughs> 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 no, I think it's a step too far, Mark. I love him, but you know, I love the fact also Mark's given us like a season to get used to the fact that he's not going to be there, yeah. Um, but how he transitions as well will be really interesting because I, yes. I have no doubt he will be at the club after the end of next season. Oh, yeah. Whether that's in a coaching role or an advisory role or a youth role. I, I don't know what there is planned for him, but I, I'm sure he's going to be there in some capacity and rightly so as well. I think he's earned that. Yeah, he, he was, he, he's, his choice words yesterday were, and I, I don't think anyone really picked it up like almost verbatim, but it was basically next year will be my last year as a player. Yeah, not my last year at the club. Last year as a player, I already know he's doing the coaching. Where Kevin Keane on Kevin Keane's get it. He's, he's brilliant because obviously for for the kids, 
you know, say for I don't know, under 14s, even up to under 18s, really. Mark Noble has been there since they were born, mm. um, playing in the first team. So, you know, he's got so much, they have so much respect to look up to him. And, um, I, you know, I, I see him very similar to, you know, I mean, I know there was a great interview the club did with him and Kevin Nolan, which was a fantastic interview um, about, you know, there was in Nobles was asking about transitioning from being a player to a coach and was it hard and da, da, da. all the types of questions, all types of questions you're assuming that, you know, literally, you know, the first of first of uh, August 2022, he walks in and, and is a coach, you know, and, and, and the way the academy is set up in that every player, every sort of sort of age group has a, a player associated with it. So it was Colton Cole or Steve Potts or Kevin Keane or, or Colton, not Koncheski. Koncheski's just become the um, women's uh, assistant manager. But every is Avon Hines, you know, they're all in there. So, you know, Mark will no, slip, slip straight into there, surely. And surely. The respect that he garners straight away just from what yeah. he's done and the amount of time he's spent at the club and he knows everything. And, it, yeah, I think he's... he's, he's we're incredibly lucky to have him yes. as a player and as mm. a figurehead at West Ham. And yeah. there are so few players that have been able to do that, whether it's, whether it's through ability or whether it's mm. through either way, that ability works actually, whether they've been too good or too poor or too, uh, to yeah. either they stay at the same club or they've moved on to pastors new. And, and, and he has had the opportunities to move on. It might not have been your Manchester United's or your Chelsea's coming in with big bids for him, but no. he has had, to move on to Charlton's yeah. or, or whoever have made offers for him at the time and he's chosen to stay at the club uh, I think it's such a unique thing and deserves celebrating and uh yeah, de- yeah de- I mean, that moment that moment where we um the backstage interview or back uh, post-match interview where we just beaten Spurs I forget what yeah. game it was and he's talking to Hammers TV and he just he does that little sh- that little laugh that shoulder strike yeah. and it just <laughs> He was every West Ham fan at that point, and I think he is. Yeah, I was. We missed that from football. We missed that fan on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I was at the. I remember the game, which I wish, you know, annoyingly, you know, hindsight. I wish I recorded it. It was Mark. It was the Chelsea game last season. We won three two, and Yarmolenko scored literally the last minute. And and Mark wasn't in the team, so he was sat literally in the disabled box in my eye line, banging. And I was watching the whole game, and he was watching the game like a fan. You know, and I know it's. I know we know he's a fan, but actually seeing it, it was like every ball he was kicking, like we were there, and um, there's something very special. I mean, we had he was on Peter Crouch's podcast the other day, and um, Peter Crouch, he was he was the way he came. It was it's not just in West Ham, but in football in general. You know, he was he came across a little bit jealous. You know, he just said he said actually said I'm very jealous of you, Mark. You know, because you're going to become a a West Ham legend because you've played at the club for so long. You're part of the foundations. So he's played yeah. for. Pompey and Stoke and Liverpool and Tottenham, not long enough to be a legend. You know what I mean? And I can see that because it's such an unusual thing to be. But yeah, if you, again, one of those plays when he when he leaves, you'll be like, there's something not right at the moment. What's you know? This you haven't got that that fan in the in your team. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, all right. Up front, first striker then, Jim. All right, controversial choice. I think this one potentially. I was going nice. to go for Tony Cotty. Um, but as I said, I keep on changing my mind with this kind of thing. And I'm going to go for Carlton Cole. Nice. No, which, friend of the channel. Which, again, much maligned character, much criticised at West Ham. But I always love players who give their all. And I think yeah. what I thought was weird about Carlton Cole was the amount of abuse he got for being lazy, which I never saw a lazy performance from him, ever. 
He was just yeah. a player that ran himself into the ground. And he might not have had the most talent of any Premier League striker we've had. He might not have scored the most goals. I think he scored like 50 goals in 300 or something like that, which is a pretty terrible return rate. <laughs> he's, he's, up, he's in the top 10. He's in the top 10 Premier League all-time strikers for us. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is more about what <laughs> <talent. laughs> <It does, laughs> Kenya's got 49 or 48. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I, I just I just really liked him as a player. I thought, um, again, one of those players that's been away and came back, yeah. came back yeah. slightly out of shape. <laughs> but, times, yeah. but, but, but that season he came back, I forget which season it was now, but um, when he came back because we'd failed to secure a striker yeah. and we were dead short up front, he didn't have to do that. And I'm sure, I mean, obviously he was offered money to do it, but he wasn't in the best of shape. He wasn't intending to come back and play football in, in the Premier League at that point. And he got pelters for having put on a little bit of timber still. Yeah. Probably a hundred times fitter than you and I, Russ. But I mean, still, <laughs> he, he, he came back and and did a job for us that season. And I think that was his love for the club that shone foot through. And I remember seeing a post match interview with him. I think it was. I think I might have this completely wrong. In fact, the timeline doesn't work. I don't remember which game it was. It was a night. It was a night game. It was towards the end of one season at Upton Park, and he did the post match interview and just came off the pitch dripping with sweat and with yes, steam yeah. rising off his whole body. And it's like everything about him screwed. You, you knew he'd put an absolute shift in. And I think that's what you got from Carlton Cole. He might not have been sprinting all over the pitch, but the, the physical attributes he has and the battles, the physical battles he went in with centre-backs were, they, 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 you can't do that kind of thing if you're not putting 100% effort in. So I always really liked Carlton Cole as a player. I totally agree. Yeah. And he's just, he, he just comes across as, I mean, he's been on very, very recently, Colton has, and he is an absolutely top bloke. Just lovely. You know, so much so he's like, if, when we were doing this, we did this stream last thing. He came on and he was like, I'm, and he was like driving. He's like, Russ, I'm really sorry. I'm going to be 10 minutes late. I was like, well, why the hell are you phoning me and driving at the same time? It's cool. <laughs> I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And I've, I've loved laid you about. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. We, we, we like players who, who, who who put a shift in? You yeah, know, it's it's not their fault if they're not messy. You know, the managers have picked them, but if if they give their all, that's all we really want. And I mean, Colton epitomises West Ham until I'd say this season, particularly in that he like I think it was a game against Tottenham where he scored an absolute screamer. You know, like Messi esque, you know, Ronaldo esque volley. And then literally two minutes later, he, he back passes it to Jermaine Defoe to score for Tottenham, yeah. and. But that's West Ham, isn't it? We'd lose to we'd always lose three 0 to Burnley and turn up against Man United, and 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 that's he epitomises West Ham. And I just yeah, he's a top boy and I love him, and I love the fact that he's still involved in the club so heavily as well because yeah. it's um, just keeps that momentum going in terms of that thread about being a West Ham player, right? Carlton's in. We have got one more spot. So it's, I think it's another obvious one. It's um, Paolo Di Canio, who for anyone of my generation who yeah. watching West Ham, there is no other player that you can have. He just, he, he, he's just the kind of player. I mean, I, I, I struggle with it slightly because of the character he has become and some of the opinions he has uh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, unveiled in recent years, but he's a fascinating character anyway. If, no, if you haven't read his autobiography, I really recommend you re reading it because it does go some way to explaining his comments in recent years and his kind of like growing up and how he was involved in the um in like the the, the Lazio hardcore growing up as a player and how yeah. he kind of he'd flaunt rules about turning up to train with the academy because he was going away with the the Lazio 
hard cause and setting off flares in stadium. And it does go some way to explaining him as a personality. But in terms of an individual and a, a, on the pitch, he was just the kind of player that I think West Ham absolutely love. And we saw a bit, bit of it with Payet. We saw a bit of it with Arnautovic to a certain extent. That Maverick, who personality-wise is a little bit unstable, but that kind of helps them have that spark of magic when they're playing as well. And there were so many brilliant memories from Paolo Di Canio and watching him play, not least things like the goal against Wimbledon. But I was lucky enough to be at the um, the Br- uh, Bradford game, the 4-5 yeah. um, at Upton Park. And he, he was just central to that game in so many ways, from being kicked all over the shop to getting on his knees and begging Harry to take him off the pitch because he was being kicked to arguing with Lampard about who took the penalty. It was just, it was just pure theatre and pure entertainment. And that's what football is at the end of the day, isn't it? It's entertainment. And Paolo Di Canio was one of, if not the biggest entertainer I've ever seen playing in a West Ham shirt. Yeah. And we just, you know, you'd literally pay your season ticket money to see him play because he was so entertaining. Yeah. You know, rather than necessarily being on, on on a footballing sort of, level in terms of being technically great which he was but he had that sort of theatricalism about him and it was almost like a soap opera and you didn't know which Paolo was going to turn up that's what I always loved about him you know was he going to be Paolo just the absolute phenomenal player or was he going to be Paolo the petulant child like at Bradford mm. City? I mean that 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 Bradford City was basically all that Harry Redknapp era you know in a 90 minute match you know <laughs> that happened every game some some element it just all happened at the same time um and yeah he was just he was a phenomenal player you would just pay your money to go and see and funny we've had people obviously we've had, we had sinks on we've had the best one about that goal was Ian Foyer former former reserve team goalkeeper big american guy a lovely guy and he speaks about that Wimbledon goal and he said that that was a i he basically puts it all down to him He's like, that goal, that was because of me. And I was like, how so, Ian? He says, well, apparently well, the, the story he tells me is that Paolo had it in his mind he wanted to score a goal like that, like on the Friday. And he made Ian, like after training, stay out, stay out training for about two or three hours at Chadwell Heath, got some youth team guy to literally ping balls for three hours he was doing this goal like trying it in all going all over the place then he got about four or five in a row and then he let Ian go when he scored the goal apparently he he then runs down the touchline when he did his you know this his finger you know that can't do no more or whatever he runs down the touchline and and basically points at Ian and goes that's for you and just jumps and hugs him but the camera cuts away so you can't know if it's true or not so it will always be a mystery but I know Ian so I, I trust him but um, doesn't that say yeah. a lot about about football in general though and you kind of you don't see the hard work and you don't see no. the effort and the time on the training pitch but the fact that something like that that feels like a bit of improvisation because it's on his wrong foot and he's kind of like slightly awkwardly angled, which is what makes it a great goal. But the fact that it seemed like a moment of inspiration is actually three hours on the training ground the day before. That goes so some of them we had a we, we had some of them i mean some people pick robert green as a goalkeeper and, and they always talk about that the arsenal game where he was like unde- unbeatable about four or five one-on-ones mm. um we interviewed jimmy walker and, and jimmy was talking about robert green and said oh yeah there's one time we were playing arsenal um on the on the saturday and they like doing one-on-ones so basically him and ludo so robert green and ludo were, were three or four hours after training doing one-on-ones and then precipitates next day he's like you know so you're right they, they don't see and that's why i love interviewing the players because you get that little bit of insight and it's like oh yeah they don't just you know turn up yeah. and 
train for a couple of hours, then go and play. Oh, of course, they go and play golf afterwards. Or, but yeah, it's uh, it's really really cool. Right, there's that. Where's the team? There we go. We bring up. There we, there we go. Look at the team. God, yeah, they do right there, wouldn't they? Yeah, do all right. I don't know about Julian. I don't know how many games Julian would play though. But apart from that, you got the you got the Cole brothers. That's good as well. So that's good. Um, brothers from another mother, but that's very very good. Um, Jason, man, it, it, Jimmy's been absolutely brilliant. It's been great. It's been lovely yeah, chatting to you. It's been really, really fun. So I really, really appreciate your time. And obviously, guys, check out Sports Social as well. Um, you've got Jim's very cleverly put his Twitter handle, same as me on there. So, you know, the, the Sports Social. Make sure you check it out. And don't, the, the, day, only, the only Premier League daily podcast out there. Yeah, the only daily Premier League podcast, which isn't daily at the moment because we're taking a little bit of a break. <laughs> We'll still do three a week, which is still pretty good, I think. So we'll just take a break with the games that But um, like, if, if if you are a podcast maker, if you're if you do sports podcasts, come and join the network as well. It's an open invitation. Get in touch. Uh, come and sign up. Come join the team because the more people there are on the network, the stronger and better it is. So come 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 and get in touch. Indeed, indeed you do. And for myself and from Jim, take care, one. Stay safe. Wash those hands. Get those jabs when you get your appointments. Come on, you irons, and we'll see you again very, very soon for our European tour. Take care, everyone. Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.